0: On this episode of Resi Week, CEDIA board nominations are open. We walk through Best Buy and Modus VR. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week.
1: The network for the AV industry.
2: What are you listening to? This. This is AV.
3: This. This. This is, is AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation.
0: This is Resi Week, episode 180,
1: Flea Market Model. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Middle Atlantic. What great systems are built on.
2: Welcome to
0: Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap-up of all the latest news and information for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott. In this week, I'm pleased to be joined by my good friend, Jeremy Glowacki. He is the executive editor of Residential Tech Today. How are you doing, Jeremy? Great, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Then we have another one of my longtime friends, Todd Puma. He is the president of The Source Home Theater. How you doing, bud? I'm doing well, Matt. Thank you for having me as well. Thank you for being here. Henry, my friend, this is Henry Clifford. He is the president of Livewire and the co-founder of Paracel. How are you?
4: I'm great, man. Thanks for having me today.
0: Thank you so much for being here. And my new friend is Ken Bruick. He is the co-founder of Modus VR. How are you doing, Ken? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Matt. In a couple years, we'll be long-time friends. I hope so. I look forward to it. Yeah, we just got to start it off early. It's kind of like speed dating. (laughs) (laughs) All right, gentlemen, let's jump in to our kind of first story of the day. We're not really going to talk too, too much about it, uh, but we will mention it. Uh, The nominations are open for the 2020-2021 Cedia Board of Directors. Full disclosure, I am currently a board member and likely will be up for uh, nomination again. That being said, the nominations are open. If uh, you want to nominate someone, there are some things that CDA is looking for. You can check that out on the CDA website. As far as personnel, there are seven open board seats. There will be four elected members and three appointed members. Directors, So that will be a very interesting time as that happens. Nominations are ex- open and accepted up until August 2nd. So if you have someone you want to nominate, please get them in uh, by August 2nd. And then the voting process will begin September 10th and end on October 22nd. Kind of related to that. Uh, and again, I just wanted to touch on this real quick. Uh, it was announced early this morning that Mitchell Klein, who is a good friend of mine and a good friend of the shows, has been honored as the 2019 CDL Lifetime Achievement recipient. He has a a very, very long history within the industry, and he's pretty much worn every hat you can wear uh, within within the industry. So this is really awesome to see. He's currently the executive director of the Z-Wave Alliance, but he's been in this business for 30 something years. And, you know, he's one of those guys that I really personally look up to and, and really appreciate all the time he's spent with me, uh, you know, talking and, and really just helping me find my way throughout the fun that is this industry. So that's really exciting to see. All right, gentlemen, let's move on to our, our next story to, of the the show. Unless somebody has anything to add to that. This comes to us from residential systems and the one and only Henry Clifford, which is kind of why he's here today. Um, sharpening your edges what he learned walking the aisles of Best Buy. Uh, definitely read through this article as always. And I'd say this, whether you were here or not, Henry, um, the majority of the, the things you write, pretty much everything you write is always very topical and I find very interesting and, and take something out of all of it. But essentially, he uh, he quotes uh, Guy Kowinsky, who back in the, the MP3 days walked through Fry's and went, it's just aisles and aisles of crap. And in the pre-show, uh, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, walking into a Best Buy and they do a great job of showcasing a lot of things but it gets really, really complicated. And and when you walk through, there's just all kinds of things. Henry, I I do want to start with you on this one. How was that experience of walking through Best Buy as somebody who I'm assuming doesn't get into Best Buy very much, walking through and, and just seeing, you know, 40 different routers and, you know, 20 different light bulbs with no real explanation of what they are, how they're different how to utilize them within the space. What was your, uh, obviously you wrote about it, but I- expand on it. What was your takeaway of, of walking through that, that experience?
4: I, I try to go in, I try to go into Best Buy every, at least once every couple of years just to keep my, keep my eyes on what's going on. And as they've pivoted over the years from where they were to sort of this flea market model where, the manufacturers pay for slotting and they really leverage their strength which is their real estate footprint i feel like you end up with these sort of very uh divvied up product areas and i think they're doing their best with what they've got and leveraging their strength which is as this sort of high-tech flea market environment and that certainly doesn't describe magnolia which is i feel like they have great design centers but out out in the sort of Retail space, you get this sort of good good luck, have fun storming the castle kind of noise factor, like you're looking at a NASCAR with a bunch of stickers on it. And so for me, who I feel like I halfway understand our industry, it, it was just mind-blowing to look at one. I mean, one of the pictures I took was of routers, and there's 25 routers. I mean that's a lot of routers I, I, and I'm an IT person and I, I wouldn't know which router to necessarily pick. And so it just, for me, I, I wanted, I wanted immediately to, to then frame it against, okay, so their strength is they've got real estate, they've got foot traffic, they've got the ability to say to a manufacturer, Hey, pay, pay us to essentially rent, rent stall space in our store. Well, and, and it just immediately made me think, well, what's our strength? And I, I mean, when, I'm, when we're talking to our customers, it's really a conversation around finding friction. And that conversation will reveal to us the uh, the friction and we can use one of the 25 routers to remove it. Meanwhile, the customer is going to have no clue what router or um I mean, what half of the electronics are that go into what we do. And so for us as a solutions provider, it just really hit home for me where we sit in time and space and just how not retail oriented we are and just how solutions oriented and how friction oriented we are. So uh, it just really made me grateful that we've chosen to pursue this path of being prescriptive and chosen to be a concierge for our customers. But that's really what uh, what hit me at first was just how confusing it was. And that's what made me think of Guy Kawasaki and, and his comment. Uh, so I, I don't know if I answer your question, but that, that's what drove. What, no, that's did. That was
0: I'm fantastic. And, and I love the use of prescriptive because that's really what it is, is, is we find the problem and then we, supply something to, to solve it. Todd, I want to come to you next on this. Um, maybe everybody doesn't know, but I'll, I'll let them know now. <laughs> you came out of the Best Buy world. This is something that you dealt with a lot.
1: That, that's correct. Over 16 years ago, I came from Best Buy and I believe I was grounded and rooted from that company. I came in as a, like, a little shy guy, uh, didn't really want to speak to anybody and Best Buy helped develop skills that I didn't even know I had. Um, there's a place in my heart for Best Buy and there always will be. Just the other day, like I was stating earlier, I walked through to Best Buy, You know, went through the aisles. I kind of do what a customer would do and the confusion was there. It was a little bit uh, done differently, but there's supposed to be a product specialist in every aisle to help educate you and to fit you into a solution that might meet your needs in the DIY world. Uh, maybe Henry, at that point in time, that wasn't uh, a, that was a given to you and I believe it wasn't, but there is supposed to be somebody there to help To alleviate that confusion. Uh, I'm not taking the fence for Best Buy because I believe that they help bring me more business. A lot of customers go there. I call it the Amazon showroom. It helps people make a better decision on Amazon to purchase things from them. And is it a good model that they're running at this point with that? No, but I do believe that Best Buy has a place and Best Buy does help us to increase our revenue and also help customers realize just like when they go to Home Depot you're going to need to have a contractor just because this place is selling you all the hardware and parts doesn't mean you know how to do it and know how to install it and know how to build the steps in order to build a successful uh, home renovation.
0: So so let me ask you this. The, the change that they've done in their stores has uh, essentially been designed to let them um, create all these different uh, little micro stores. Right. You've got the TV section, you've got the Mac section, you've got the Windows section, you've got the smart home section, you've got the camera section. Is something where they've tried to eliminate a lot of that confusion and we just haven't figured out how to um, capitalize on it?
1: I think because we're a lot more educated than the end user. So what happens a lot of the time when you're built with a lot of knowledge and you know so much, you tend to realize that things around you aren't done as well. But the only reason why we believe things aren't done as well is, is because we know so much better. We have built organization. We have built a standard. We have built control systems. So our mind is, we think clearly, this is the steps that need to be taken in order to build a successful you know, network, uh, audio video system, lighting system, whatever it may need to get done. But the customer, the consumer, and the way they think is it's better for them to start not knowing anything and to grab a specialist in there to help them advise them based on their budget. Right, they're all based upon daily budget. They're based upon you know people who live in apartments, people who live in smaller homes. Uh, for first-time home buyers, you know a lot of appliances, computers, and uh, basic televisions are sold in the store because, like you stated, they are built up in the divisions where wireless, um, you know, computer, Samsung, uh, Apple is built into their store. You know they have their magnolia. They have so many different areas that they specialize in, which they wind up making up be a specialist in and any area. Um, which I believe is the confusion part. And what happens is when I was there, we had dedicated people to a dedicated division. Like I was in charge of home theater, right? Then there was a computer specialist. Then there was a mobile specialist. And the list went on and on. I don't believe that's the case anymore. I believe everybody is, you know, whatever, the, whatever department you're in, you're in every department. There's no more one department.
0: Interesting. Ken, I, I want to come to you on this. One of the things that both Henry and Todd alluded to was that stores like Best Buy and the experience that a consumer gets when they walk into Best Buy is something that we can take advantage of. How do, how do integrators, how do dealers, how do even manufacturers, how do you go about trying to capitalize on that and, and be able to be found? So when somebody walks in and goes, wow, this is really confusing, I wonder if there's someone who can help me with that. How do we, as as an industry, really learn how to capitalize on that?
2: That's a great question. I I, I mean, a lot of it's on a, well, you've got the micro and the macro level, right? The micro level is what can the individual integrators be doing? And the macro level is more like what can Cedia be doing? What can the Cedia-friendly manufacturers be doing? And on the micro level, I, I mean, that's where you really start to see, the integrators that are good at their jobs excelling because they they provide an experience if they have a showroom where people come in and their hand is held through every step of the process, right? And and all of those little decisions and concerns that a consumer might have are just washed away because they don't even have to think about them. So my, my background, uh, I've been an AV enthusiast forever, but my professional background, a lot of it has to do with it interface design as a user experience guy. And, and what's interesting coming from that, looking at this particular story is when you're designing a UI, it's all about goal oriented design. What is the end user hoping to accomplish? Right? And then every piece of that UI needs to be chiseling away very rapidly at helping the user get to that goal. Okay. And so every feature you have, every option you present to the user is adding friction in that process. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of counterintuitive, right? You look at a point and shoot camera and there's a thousand options in there when really a user needs one. Uh, (laughs) And, and so it's kind of the same thing with this Best Buy story, right? Where the more options you provide to a consumer, the more fatigue they have and the farther away from their end goal, they really are. So for, us in the industry, both as integrators, manufacturers, all of our messaging needs to be about that end goal. What is the end experience? And then, and that's when all of the annoying details start to manifest themselves as real problems to the consumer. The consumer shouldn't have to care about setting up IP addresses. They shouldn't have to care about ecosystems and walled gardens, but that is the reality when they're going into Best Buy, right? They've got to talk to a, hopefully, a well-trained person working there, uh, and I, I actually worked at Best Buy as a college student a long time ago, so I, I know exactly what the training is like, but it, you know, they're, they're relying on that person to be able to get deep insights into this person's familiarity with technology, how comfortable they are with installing things, troubleshooting things, and as an industry, we should be able to go the complete opposite and just say, look, what are you hoping to accomplish? What are the things you and your spouse care about? Let's hone in on those. And all of those details, every time they get brought up, we just reinforce the idea, no, you don't have to worry about that, that's on us. We take care of that for you.
0: Very good. Jeremy, last question and we can move on from, from this story, but you've been around the industry a long time and you see it from a different side, being media. Forever, Best Buy has kind of been you know, the the spur that annoys integrators left, right and center. I've always been of the opinion that They're there. They don't really serve the majority of our clients. So they're actually helpful. They showroom 50 TVs that I can send a client to and say, Hey, go figure out which one you like the most. And I don't have to showroom 50 TVs. Are we to the point where there is a a large enough um, dividing line between the two that they really don't have an impact or has Magnolia and all the other initiatives that they continue to work on. Is that continuing to bring them alongside?
3: Yeah, I think our industry, um, the CI channel really is a different world entirely from Best Buy. And I don't think that they're a threat, um, really in in many ways because the the people that are going into Best Buy are, are typically not the client base of the CI channel. Um, they may do a little bit of, you know, kicking around the tires and stuff, but, um, I don't think that, you know, it, 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 just the aesthetic of the place doesn't fit the typical clientele of the CI channel, um, from what I know of it. And that's over, over generalizing, but I think the visibility of the CI channel is a challenge, you know, depending on what market you're in, just to be able to be seen, like you're saying, how do, how do consumers at that demographic know about our industry and the availability? I think it's definitely through the architects and the builders and the interior designers and those relationships, you know, because you've got to start somewhere if you're building a house on a retrofit, it may be a different situation. And that's a challenge, you know, um, I, I've gone into Best Buy. I, I do kind of have that knowledge of talking to a lot of custom integrators, but not having the depth of the knowledge of doing a lot of it, you know, not day to day, you know, installing systems. And so I go into a Best Buy to say, replace my ring doorbell, and I'll kind of act like I don't know anything and see what they do. And they have pretty deep product knowledge, you know. They just don't—I don't, don't think—know how to put a system together. So you're never going to get that, maybe at Magnolia, but you know, you're not going to get that the general Best Buy show floor um, to even know that you can sort of piece together a thing. Um, to make the smart home, it's just a lot of little individual things with apps, you know mm-hmm. um, that's that's what I kind of get but I, I I see that they have a lot of knowledge there, and I do think that um it, it it's good to keep the smart home in the uh, you know the view of the consumer in any way, shape, or form, so our industry doesn't just evaporate from you know the world we we need to have that awareness there. But I think right. that the people that are going to spend the money to work with a professional, they're going to go a different route. They're not going to go to Best Buy and get confused and price shop and all that.
0: Very good. All right, gentlemen, let's move on to our next story of the day. This comes to us from TV. Modus VR updates its virtual design software. You can now do enhanced home theater walkthroughs with the Modus VR, who was uh, really the world's first virtual reality design software for media rooms and home theaters. And luckily we have Ken here to expound on this. Ken, you guys have been involved in, in VR for, for quite a while now um, and have really led that. And, and we're seeing that start to evolve into more spaces. We're seeing it in, in the commercial side as well. Uh, VR really start to become, I don't want to say it's, it's a requirement for home theater sales, but it's, it's really become like an expectation that people will have that ability to see a 3D render, put on a a pair of VR um, headsets and and see that space, see what they're uh, investing into. What is is new? What is super exciting about this new version of, of Modus VR?
2: Sure. So, I mean, taking a step back in general, what makes Modus different from most of the other VR efforts out there is that it's a real-time platform. So while a client and salesperson are in VR together, the salesperson can react to client feedback on the fly. So Mm -hmm. if if a client has an idea, good or bad, you can just show them and let it play out, right? You know, hey, I've got an eight-foot basement and I would like to have three tiers of seating. That's typically a bad idea. But until you show the client, you know, they're going to, often hold on to that idea much longer than they should. So that, I mean, that's the general theme. So then this update really has two main parts. One is just having more things that you can show clients in VR. The big part was materials. Uh, So when we first started, we were very home theater focused, but as we've branched out to media rooms, we've needed more things like wood flooring, uh, polished concrete flooring, uh, you know, things like that, just to help paint the picture a little bit better. Um, but then also outside of VR, we want to make sure we're enabling our customers to be able to move the process along quickly. So once you've had a session in VR, it's it's takes seconds to put together professional looking CAD drawings, all your different orthographic views, everything like that. Just so that a, a, you have a session with a client, you say, hey, great, have a seat, drink some water or something. Give me two minutes, I'll I'll push out these plans for you. You're ready to sign and they can just keep going from there. Um, and then of course lots of little things here and there uh, additional objects and stuff like that, but that's, that's really the bulk of it.
0: Very, very cool. Todd, when you, when you look at adding VR into a, a product design, um, or, or even 3d renders or, or, or what have you, what is the, what's the break point as far as where the, where it becomes a, a significant value add as far as system scope, is it something that you can justify putting into every project? Or is it something that you have to kind of, you know, fit as you're, as you're looking at the scope?
1: It's pretty much you have to fit as you're looking at the scope because it, you. Could, I believe, based upon my uh, limited knowledge on uh, VR and, you know, building the CAD design through it, is it sounds like it will be co- costly. And a lot of times the customer, based upon the projects we are doing, uh, might necessarily not have that budget for the design and engineering aspect of it and might need something a little bit more straightforward and to the point. Um, But overly, the projects that we've been working on, a lot of the large projects like five-story brownstones that we specialize in, I think that would be fantastic to speed the process along. Just imagining in my head right now the one client that had a basketball court, and they're trying to figure out, all right, we're putting a a golf uh, court in here as well, and we want to do you know, kind of uh, an idea how this is all going to work and how the space will really kind of – move along. Um, during that whole process, the architects, designers, and myself, I invested a lot of money in order to make that happen just on a piece of paper. I believe if we had the, the tools, just like VR, we kind of could have walked through that process maybe in a day or so where the customers didn't invest so much uh, time for themselves as well as invest so much time that I have lost by not budgeting properly um, You know, with the CAD drawings and working with the architect and engineer for just that little area.
0: Very good. Speaking of architects and engineers and designers, Henry, I know at, at Livewire you guys deal with those specifiers often. Does VR, cause I, I know in, in my experience, anytime we can bring even a 3d render into one of those meetings and say, Hey, you know, not only have we put some thought into it, we've done some work and, and, and show a client that, but also have their specifiers be able to see it and see that, you know, we didn't just sketch this out on a napkin that seems to add validity, having, having VR and and a lot of times, even if you're able to bring that, you know, a couple of those specifiers in to that VR session, is that something that that community respects? Is it something that you see as a, as a significant value add to them, or is it something that's just a value add to the client? I,
4: I feel like, I mean, it, at LiveWire, we have an adage of like he or she who shows up to the meeting with the most with the most documentation wins. And for us, a lot of that is is oriented around building conceptual drawings and really solid documentation. And then we'll do things like using augmented reality apps in the field like Amakaza and some of these other ones to sort of like show them on an iPad, hey, here's your room, they want a TV on that wall, we fling it on that wall and show them right then and there what it looks like a la Pokemon Go. We haven't really embraced true VR, i.e. put the headset on and but we've seen it work in, in the real estate vertical where the builders are showing their customers these walkthroughs and and, and, and that just they seem to be killing it with that. So I'd say for us, we see value in it. But I, I feel like for us, it'd be more of showing a customer what it's going to be like in their space. And I think for the specifiers, uh, we the specifiers tend to sort of embrace this, this mantra with us of be brief, be brilliant, be gone. And so we we're useful to them in that we do great design work, et cetera, we offer them continuing education, um, but I feel like it, I, I don't have a good flow and, and maybe, you know, Ken, you can help me uh, work on this, but I feel like with a customer, if, if they had engaged us, paid us a design retainer, and we bring them in to present and we go, boom, here you go, let's all look around together, they're gonna to be blown away and then they're going to be handing their credit card over, uh, which by the way happens in 2D already. So in 3D, I think it would just help us close more business. So um, but for a specifier because it's indirect, I, I feel like the connectivity I, I'd want to be there more with the person actually buying the thing, and maybe the specifiers there as a participant, so yeah. I want that, that customer there.
0: I was going to ask Jeremy this, but at the same time, I'll, I'll kind of ask it to, to Ken. Um, it, is VR to the point where it's still an incredibly niche product? It, it, is it is it still that niche or is it something that we're starting to see the legs?
2: Uh, Oh, and I mean that with all yeah. due respect. <laughs> no, 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 offense taken. Uh, I, I would say, uh, out of our customers, when they bring a client in, I would say eighty percent of the people coming in, eighty to ninety, have never done VR before. They've heard of it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and there's some portion of that that has written it off as gimmicky or you know not for them or whatever. Um, but it's it's still it's still very niche, and that's okay. Um, I mean, right now it's, if you're looking at the hype cycle, I think VR is just barely starting to come out of the trough of disillusionment. Really. (laughs) Uh, I I mean, it is, right? Because it, it, same hype cycle as everything else. It was going to change the world. It was going to be a $80 trillion industry within six months. And then that didn't happen. And now a lot of people are naysaying. and, And out of the ashes, we're starting to see useful, products for VR some a lot of which are gaming but then as Henry alluded to and Todd alluded to like we're seeing it in uh, real estate we're seeing it in medical we're seeing it in industrial training Walmart's even using VR for uh, evaluating management I mean it's it's fascinating but it's still very very niche in my opinion and I'm uh, I don't know I should be the most biased towards (laughs) VR (laughs)
0: Jeremy, is what Ken's saying? Is that, is that what you're seeing? Is this something that, because to me, and I've been hearing about it for years, both in the residential side and the commercial side. Having experienced it, I've bought in. Having tried to figure out how to apply it in my own company, I'm still having a hard time with. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm justifying it. Where, where's, where's it going to be?
3: Yeah, I saw it in an early demo with Motus, and I thought that um, that was really probably my first experience with a very professional level of VR. Um, and to walk through a room and to see a projector with like dust particles, you know, through the beam, it was pretty amazing. You know, I mean, I still knew I was in a virtual world. It wasn't like I completely lost my mind. You know, like, wow, I just jumped into this room, but it was still cool. You could walk around and everything. And I think that that experience is going to be effective for sure for customers. Um, I, I, I think that um, you are starting to hear a little bit more in that gaming space where it's going to pick up some um, momentum. Uh, I, I, Being at Infocom, you know, we talked last week about why I was at Infocom and, and that was one of the little tidbits I picked up that there's some building momentum there again in, in VR because I had sort of just. Shut it down from an editorial standpoint, like well we we're moving on from that it it's like three d it's done, you know everyone pulled out of it, but uh yeah, to hear that it's going into professional um, applications and medical especially i mean that that to me, I think is going to drive it forward, and you know the the demographics are going to change too, you know, as we see younger customers in in our business, we're going to have more comfort with that, maybe it's from gaming, you know, just familiarity with it. Um, and they'll, they'll probably, you know, almost demand that type of treatment as a customer to be able to go through a virtual setup, um, rather than just looking at a set of drawings, you know?
0: Very good. All right, gentlemen, we're going to wrap it there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, if people would like to connect with you, Jeremy, where can they do that?
3: Um, it, you know, go to our website, uh, restechtoday.com, and, uh, subscribe to the magazine. We come out every other month in print and we have a, a weekly newsletter, so it'd be great to get subscribers.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. Todd, my friend, if people want to connect with you, learn more about the source, where can they do that?
1: They can get in contact with me at any time, actually on my website at www.thesourcehometheater.com or you could follow me on Twitter or Instagram at thesourcehometheater.com.
0: Excellent. Thanks again. Henry, my good friend, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Livewire, learn more about Parasol. Where can they do that?
4: Uh, Sure. So Parasol, we're uh, 24-7 remote support uh, for integrators by integrators. uh, Getparasol.com on Twitter at GetParasol. Facebook, same thing. And Livewire, which is my integration business. We're at getlivewire.com. My email is henry at getlivewire.com and then all the handles are the same at getlivewire. So <laughs> passenger pigeon coordinates, you can text me for that. So yeah.
0: Perfect. You. Yeah. you know I'm going to send you a pigeon. You know it. Yeah. It'll be a Canadian goose, but same, <laughs> kind of same thing. <laughs> Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if people want to connect with you, learn more about uh, Modus VR, where can they do that?
2: ModusVR.com. That's M O D U S V R.com.
0: Excellent. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me at Matt D Scott on Twitter and pretty much every other social platform. But more importantly, please visit avianation.tv where you'll find this show, as well as a wide variety of our other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you support them as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week.
3: Matt, you got a full house to juggle here. I know.
0: I know.
4: <laughs> a lot of dudes, Matt.
0: Henry, well luckily we're not letting mitchell talk today oh man i know man i know you're excited but we got too many people